The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTUV, WXYZ people, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Tuesday morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com or SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Scroll down right there on the right, and we're going live right there on the website. You can also check out the live video feed on my Twitter account at FPPTim, FPPTim on Twitter, as well as if you're on platforms like Periscope and Twitch, you can check it out. Uh, check us out at Setting Brush Fires. Also, Facebook at Bradley Dean SOL. Our YouTube channel is Dean Sons of Liberty. Beforeitsnews.com, we're also there on the front page and also on DLive.TV at The Sons of Liberty. You can also catch us on Spreely Gab, MeWe Minds, and USA.Life at Sons of Liberty and Sons of Liberty Media. And if you want to call in, look, if you got a comment you want to make or if you have uh, something you want to add to the show, we're happy to have you give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, even if you disagree, you're, you're welcome to call in. 215-TOP-TALK, 215-867-8255. Now, please stick to the topic. No Chinese buffet today, okay? Uh, we're going to be talking about imprecatory prayers and um, their use within the Old and the New Testament, See, God doesn't change, and uh, he hasn't taught his people one thing in the Old Testament, only just to teach them the exact opposite in the New Testament. He doesn't do that. Now, before we get started, let me just let you know, Sons of Liberty, um, we, we don't have our hands out for money, but we do believe in letting you know we have needs, and we ha- it costs money to do the things that we do. And if you like Bradley coming to your area, look, sometimes Bradley and his family spend a lot of money to go somewhere. And the people say, oh, we, we appreciate it and everything else, and yet they don't hardly even cover the expenses to go there. <clears throat> to do this costs money. Every year I have to pay a restreaming fee, and uh, we've got uh, the cost of the X-Split and other costs that are there. So if you if you can, and Bradley has the same thing in his house, so if you can help the Sons of Liberty, please do so. We're, never, we're not demanding. You don't have to do it to get the information. Uh, we do that. As freely as we've been given, we freely give. But if you can support the Sons of Liberty in our efforts of what we do, we encourage you to do that. SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, go there, and there's a donate button. There's also become a son or daughter of liberty. You can do that, whatever the Lord leads you to do, as you're able to do it, okay? 
All right, so we're going to talk about imprecatory prayers. <clears throat> and uh, to help me with that this morning is Dr. John Diamond. We had him on on a Thursday or Friday of last week, and we talked about the appeal to heaven and the fight of the uh, next American Revolution, if you will. And uh, good morning, John. I just want to welcome you to the Sons of Liberty again. Morning, brother. Glad to be back with you again today. This is definitely a, a, an issue that gets, gets a lot of controversy, and I think uh, I think me and you have talked talked it through that we can pro- properly understand and give them God's perspective on this. Hopefully, yeah, I hope so. And one of the things I want to do is I want to start out with a little a little piece, and then we're going to reference some scriptures. We're going to refer, we're going to define our terms uh, because we we have somebody who who chimed in about it, and they listen to the show regularly. Um, and they had some questions, and I spoke extensively with them on the phone the other night, and it was a good conversation. It wasn't, you know, knuckles coming out and us fighting one another. There was disagreement, obviously, but, uh, but I, you know, I, as I was telling you, I, I find it difficult that somebody comes and listens to Bradley Dean every day and doesn't understand the idea of pre- imprecatory prayers. But here's what we want to start off with. The first thing I want to do is there's a little section here that I think kind of consolidates, and if, if you'll bear with me, I'll give this, and then um, we'll, we'll start defining our terms. The consistent witness of Scripture affirms the legitimacy of God's people making use of imprecatory prayers in their individual, family, and corporate prayers. Underlying this assertion is a basic assumption that the prayers of God's people should be rooted in, in of all places, Scripture. The Psalter is God's divinely inspired prayer book and hymnal. I agree. It gives us the language of petition and praise. The imprecatory psalms help give a, help shape to the hurt and outrage that the people of God at times experience in a world desecrated by sin. Some react to the harsh language of the imprecatory psalms. While this is under, yeah, while this is understandable, we mustn't lose sight of what our sin deserves. Others underscore the teaching of Jesus to love our enemies. But loving our enemies in the New Testament never comes at the expense of foregoing appeals to divine justice. Praying for God to punish the wicked is neither unloving nor vindictive, but is an expression of faith in him who judges justly, 1 Peter 2.23. Still, others want to limit the imprecatory Psalms to Old Covenant Israel, while the circumstances of God's covenant people have changed with the advent of of Christ, the same cruelties that plagued Israel as a believing people in a hostile world still haunt the church today. If we remove the vocabulary of the imprecatory psalms from our homes and churches, what else will Christians sing and pray when tragedy strikes? And then here's the culmination of that. To pray the imprecatory psalms is ultimately to pray as Jesus taught us to pray. As Christians, we long for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven, right? That's how Jesus taught us to pray. We yearn for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Praying the imprecatory Psalms is not a call to arms, but a call to faith. We lift our voices, not our swords, as we pray for God either to convert or to con- or to curse the enemies of Christ and his kingdom. Now, uh, Dr. John, let's give a, I, I don't know what, you, maybe you want to chime in on that for just a moment, and then I want to start defining our terms here. Yeah, that, I mean, I thought it was interesting that you, that part of that quote that you just read talked about uh, divine justice, because that's the, I've never heard that quote before, and I, and I never linked the imprecatory prayer with my book, 
um, from that standpoint. But that's, that's the subtitle of my book is a cry, a cry from divine justice. Um, and that, that's the thing that, uh, I think people kind of lose sight of they they think that we're calling on God to kill people or we're, they think we're killing on God to hurt people. What we're doing is we're calling on God to stop wicked people from doing things to innocent people. That's it. Period. And when you understand that as a former police officer, you know, if if, if I get called to a scene and, and a guy has just shot a mother of four and he's picked the kid up and put a gun to his head and says, I'm going to kill this child. It is not unchristian for me to take that guy out. My job is to protect the innocent from the wicked. That's what it says in Romans 14 or Romans 13, chapter four. The, the purpose of government is to protect the innocent from the wicked. If we don't first start with the understanding that there are wicked people on this planet that want to kill innocent people, if you don't start with that foundation, imprecatory prayer doesn't make any sense. But when you understand there are wicked people on this planet, and rather than us being Avengers and going out and killing them ourselves, we call God in to, to mediate that situation. Well, that's exactly right. Now, let's let's define the term. Okay, so we've got uh, to imprecate. Now, this is Webster's 1828. To imprecate means to invoke as an evil on anyone to pray that a curse or a calamity may fall on oneself or on another person. We use that in terms of imprecatory, the adjective form of that word. It means containing a prayer for evil to befall a person. Now, Somebody would understand that is as, oh, well, God would never do this evil and such. And yet they haven't read in the scripture where it says, if evil is in the city, if there's a calamity there, then I have done it. That's what God says. So we understand that, that exactly what you were just referencing there, that this is an idea of God judge between me and thee. Now, let's take David, for instance. You know, everybody wants, we'll, we'll focus on David's great sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Many people will not follow through and see his lack of correcting of his sons. Uh, the, the, the issues, the other issues that he had in his life that weren't necessarily the most upright. And yet God says he was a man after his own heart. And then when he comes into his life, he says, except for this issue, this Uriah issue, this was the real problem. So we, we see David, he's not a perfect man by any means. And yet, does David have need for repentance? Of course, he, he has needs of repentance every day. I mean, we see that in the prayers that he has. And, but then he also can come before the Lord and he can say, look in me and if there's something wicked in me, then judge that. But look at what's going on to me. This is not just. These people are not treating me justly. And he's not talking about, you know, his neighbor didn't like his you know, new chariot or, you know, picked on his clothes or something. He's not talking about stuff like that. He's talking about people coming after him, seeking his life. And yet he can call on God to say, examine me. I've repented. I've confessed my sin to you. I've asked you to cleanse me. Part of my repentance is now to stand with you, the God who is surrounded by justice, whose character is made up of justice. He is a just and a holy God. It is to stand with you. Now look at my enemy there. Will you deal with my enemy? I think this is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about imprecatory prayers. And uh, I, I want to give that as sort of the basis for you to kind of launch into uh, some of the things that you have in your book there. 
Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, this is even a, almost an evolving thing for me. I started writing this book back in 2012 um, and then published it several years ago. And then uh, TBN, Trinity Broadcasting, just, just picked it up here a couple, uh, maybe a month or so ago. So my book's been out for, for several years. And the more, I mean, I had to stop at some point because I could have continued writing and writing and writing. But um, when, when I deal with, with people on imprecatory prayer, that there, again, there's some foundational things that you have to understand. First, theological mistake we make is that we're all God's children, okay? The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere, all right? Straight from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's two seeds. There's a seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The first seed of the of the serpent was Cain. Cain killed his brother because his brother was righteous. Right through the Old Testament, um, the, every prophet that God sent, the wicked, evil people killed the prophets, then they killed Christ. And then Stephen gets in there in Acts chapter seven. And he says, he goes right through history. And he says, you know, which of the prophets didn't your fathers kill? Now you killed the ones that he sent. And then they killed Stephen. So you have to understand the wicked always try to kill God's people. The children of the devil always try to kill the children of, of light. And that that's just absolutely 100% biblical from Genesis to Revelation. If you don't under, if you just think we're all God's children, you'd never pray an imprecatory prayer. If you understand that there are wicked, evil people that are conspiring to kill believers, then you've, again, you've got one of three choices. You could just lay down and let them kill you. You can pick up a gun and go do the militia thing, or you could appeal to heaven and you could say, God, you know, these people are conspiring to kill us. Please step in and stop it. And that's what Esther did. All right. Esther didn't stand there and just, oh, Lord, let's love Haman and, and love him and bless him and uh, change his heart. No, he was conspiring to commit murder. And she went to the king and said, this guy is conspiring to kill a whole ra a, a whole religion of people for no reason. And he got hung on the same gallows that he created. So we need to have a little bit more theological understanding that Moses wasn't standing over the Red Sea asking for mercy for Pharaoh. Pharaoh picked his own judgment. Daniel wasn't standing over the lion's den praying for mercy for the families of those who conspired to kill him, right? Same with Esther. So you have to understand justice. If you don't understand justice, God is not on the side of the wicked. He's on the side of the innocent and the righteous, the widow and the fatherless. And instead of taking matters into our hands, our own hands, we call him in as the supreme judge. Amen. He will judge them according to what they conspired to do to God's people. That's why that's why he killed Pharaoh and his army. That's why he killed Daniel's conspirators. That's why he killed Haman, right? The, God's people didn't determine these judge, judgments. They just said, God, we're appealing to heaven, save us from the wicked. And then God said, okay, now I will avenge you, but I will avenge you according to the judgment that they made. That's why Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged for whatever measure you measure out will be weighed back on you. So he was basically letting them pick their own punishment. And, and that's, that's what happened all the way through the old Testament. <clears throat> right. That's, that's now let's, let's take an example because again, I, I told our friend um, that what I would do is I would, I would bring some of these things up and let you address them. Of course, I, I I've addressed them and I think you and I spoke about it the other night. You mentioned the, the issue with Pharaoh. And what was going on there? Now, in Exodus 1, we're told that the people had come down there, um, that Joseph had been, you know, he had, he had been exalted in the land of Egypt. He was given the land of Goshen where his father and his brothers and all their, uh, the, the servants that they had and all, the, the family, as it were, had come down there, the covenant family of Israel, 
had come down there, they had settled. And the only thing that we really see wasn't that they were proselytizing anybody or doing any of this stuff. They were just growing in number. They had a lot of kids. Hello, people. (laughs) This is the Dominion Mandate, okay? They had a lot of kids. And it began to scare the Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, all right? And so he said, well, let's let's take care of these people. We're going to go enslave them. The people were all behind them. They made slaves out of them to the point that when we get to chapter 2, here's what we read there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we read in verse 21 of, of Exodus chapter 2, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses to Zipporah his daughter, and she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Now here's the thing. When I brought this up, uh, the, 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 the friend that we have here um, said, oh, well, cries and groanings are different than imprecatory prayers. Well, and, and they even indicated that it was a cry for justice. And I said, I said, okay, you're wanting to make an issue that imprecatory prayer is not in this. But imprecatory really isn't in any of the Bible. I don't think you find that word there anywhere in the scriptures, not in the trans- English translation. But then she says... That, They're crying for justice. And I said, but justice is not found here either. But what is what what can we surmise from the context? And again, this would be an assumption on our part. What can we surprise from the context? They have been made slaves. Okay? God warns against man stealing in the law. Now the law hasn't been given here yet, uh, but he warns against that, and it is a capital crime. It is a death penalty to engage in man stealing. So they've been made slaves. They've been put into bondage. They're crying out to God for something. What are they crying out for? And how does God, I think how God responds, tells us what they're crying for because he comes in and he pretty much decimates all of their gods in Egypt. He even enters the the house of Pharaoh to take his firstborn. And then ultimately he destroys Pharaoh and his armies. Um what would you say about that? Do you think they were praying imprecatory prayers here in Exodus chapter 2? Yeah, and again, we're talking about, you know, defining terms. They were basically just saying, look, here is a guy who's committing a criminal act. We were invited into this land. Um, we were invited into this land as friends, and now this guy came and enslaved us. It's like me inviting you over to my house for, for a football game and then telling you to go in the basement. That's where the TV is and locking the door. All right. That's a crime. All right. So, I mean, what would you do? Would you call the police and say, hey, this guy's kidnapped me. This guy's locked me. Yeah, you would. It's not unchristian. You don't have to sit there and submit to that. So, again, they just appealed to heaven. They, th- th- this is the whole basis of the book. I've got an entire chapter of this in my book about this is the this is kind of the pattern or the template that the founding fathers used, that the that the slaves used. Um, but it was God who determined the judgment and God was very merciful. I mean, he, 10 times he's like, he would have hoped that Pharaoh let him go any of those 10 times. Right. But he's like, every time that he hardened his heart, he, he ramped it up and gave him another judgment. 
At any point, they could have said, just said, you know what, we're going to let the people go, and it would have been over. But they didn't. So it, it took 10 judgments and 10 plagues, and finally he let them go. And then he turned his heart and said, you know what, I'm going to kill these people. When he made that determination, he picked his own judgment, and God had to not only protect the innocent, but God also had to judge him based on the judgment that he had already made. Yeah, and one of the things that we need to keep in mind, too, about this, and it's a sticky point for a lot of people, is that God did all of that so that he might glorify himself. Because he told Moses before he stepped a foot in front of Pharaoh, I'm going to harden his heart. Mm-hmm. Before Pharaoh even heard the message, I'm going to do it. And we read over in Romans chapter 9 that he shows mercy to whom he shows mercy. So this should cause us as people to tremble before God, uh, to have that holy fear of him, because he's the one who holds holds our hearts in his hands. Uh, as, as Jeremiah prayed in Lamentations, if you turn us, we'll be turned. If you don't turn us, we're going to we're going to destruction here, and um, and, and so I think that that needs to be kept in, in mind as to what's going on. Exactly right, God is the one who determines that, but I don't think it is a wrong thing for the people of God to recognize that. Now, give us a couple of instances from the Psalms of what David prays. Because what I want to do is I want people. Some people will tune in the show. They say, oh, "Okay, I want to hear your political commentary." Well. You know, political commentary, we, we talked about this earlier, and we talked about um, our, our, our culture is religion externalized, um, or we could say even our politics is religion externalized. That's what it is. And so I do believe it applies to our society, but we're trying to set a foundation here. So give us a couple of instances, maybe from the Psalms, of some imprecatory prayers and what, what was surrounding that. Well, I mean, let's just look at a couple. And one of the things I don't think people understand is the use of figure of speech. Um, uh, so, I mean, Psalms ten fifteen says, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. So you got to pre- pre-assume that there are wicked people, right? And when God says break their teeth, he's not literally saying break their teeth. If you take a wolf, you're not going to take that wolf and throw him in with the sheep. All right, he's going to kill the sheep. But if you broke all the wolf's teeth off, you basically rendered him powerless. He does not have the power to destroy the te- te- uh, the sheep because he has no teeth. Over in Psalm 69, it, um, I'm sorry, Psalms 10, it talks about break the arm of the wicked, not talking about literally breaking their arm. Just like when someone goes on stage and you say break a leg, that, that's not, that's a figure of speech. So when it says break the arm of the wicked, it means he's doing something with his hands. He's doing something illegal. He's doing something criminal. And when you say, God, break the arm of the wicked, you're basically asking God to stop him. Because when you have a broken arm, (laughs) and I've had a broken arm, you're incapacitated. You can't do evil with that arm. So you have to understand, again, it's not it's talking about stopping wicked people from assaulting innocent people, especially widows and the fatherless. Right. I mean, you can go right through the Old Testament. It says defend the fathers, uh, the fatherless and the widows because they had nobody to protect them. But God was there to protect them. He's the defender of the fatherless and the widows. These wicked people would take advantage of a woman when her husband would die and her children. And, and when, when they had no one to go to, they could always appeal to heaven. They could appeal to God and say, this wicked man who's more powerful than I am is, is doing me wrong, is oppressing me. All right. When you understand that, then you understand the imprecatory prayer in Luke at 18, when Jesus taught us to pray imprecatory prayer, because this widow was being oppressed 
by some wicked man. And he and he says, appeal to me and I will avenge you. That, that, that carries it right over into the New Testament. She didn't take matters into our, her own hand, nor should we. But that also doesn't mean we have to stand by and just let this guy oppress us or commit crimes against us. There's a judicial system in this country. If a man's beating a woman, she can go down and get a restraining order. All right. That's exactly what's kind of happening here. She doesn't have to stand there and let the man beat her. She, she can use the judicial process to stop this. This is what we're talking about, uh, an appeal to heaven. We're talking about appeal, going into the courts of heaven and asking for a restraining order against wicked people. That's all this is. It's not because we hate the person. It's not because we don't want to see them saved. We just want innocent people to be protected from wicked people. That's consistent throughout the, the entire scripture, and that's what Jesus taught in Luke 18. I totally agree. And let's let's take a look at uh, a few things here. For instance, let's take an issue to where uh, it's a little more um, forceful. Matthew 23. In that chapter, all we see, we don't see Jesus saying, um, you know, I hope you Pharisees receive the mercy of God. I hope you receive the grace of God. I hope that God will say, he, he, he's not calling for repentance in any of it. He, all he's pronouncing is one woe or a judgment after another. And he says this in Matthew 23, 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And then we have uh, here with uh, Judas, for instance. He doesn't plead with Judas to repent. Uh, he knows that the scripture is going to be fulfilled by Judas to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And in Matthew 26, verses 23 and 24, And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto that man. These woes are judgments, guys. Woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, you can hear people asking the question, and I understand it. I understand it. If you don't understand what an imprecatory prayer is, you're going to go, well, how does this line up with the same Jesus? Of course, they'll give an exception for Jesus because he's God, right? <laughs> but how does this line up with the same Jesus that said, love your enemies? This seems pretty straightforward to me, but I want to let you comment on that as to how, how that works out. Again, here, here, here to me, this is the key because Christianity suffers from two very, very um, theological problems. And this spans on any doctrine that we can talk about. Um, the first off is I had the privilege of going to three Bible colleges, three seminaries, one for my bachelor's, master's and, and uh, doctorate. And, and I had teachers from every tradition, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal. I mean, any, anything you... And the one thing about them all is they all agree that 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration from God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. They all say that, but they don't apply that. So when I say, okay, well, what about the imprecatory prayers in the Psalms? Are, are they profitable for instructions in righteousness, for reproof? Well, no, we don't, we don't pray those. Well, then basically you're making yourself God. You're doing what the Pharisees did 
and the scribes, when Jesus said, by your traditions, you have made the word of God null and void. You are basically redacting part of God's word. You are taking a marker and you are crossing out all the scriptures that you don't agree with. And that's what it comes down to in precatory prayer. Because if Jesus was standing right here, right now, telling people to, to pray in precatory prayer, they would stand there and correct him just like J Peter corrected Christ. Oh, Lord, we would never protect. I didn't write the imprecatory prayers. I'm just reading them. All right. So what it comes down to is this. This is the whole crux of the issue, because this is something we all deal with as fallen man. We think we're smarter than God. We think we're more righteous than God. And we think we're more pure moral than our maker. This is what Job dealt with. This is why Job's whole trial happened, because it says, can a man be more righteous than God or more pure than his maker? When I talk to atheists, and about Christ and about the Bible and Christianity. And they're like, you believe God would send people to hell? And I'm like, well, the Bible says it, right? I didn't write it. It's not my interpretation. And they're like, well, if that's how God is, I don't want nothing to do with him. They think they are more moral than God. They think they are more righteous than God. This is what people do when they reject imprecatory prayer. That if Jesus stood there right to their face and said, you need to be praying imprecatory prayer in, in, in Luke 18. No, I would never do that. That's just unchristian. Well, you want to go ahead and reject scripture and you want to go ahead and correct Christ, you go right ahead. But I mean, I'm not going to do that because the first time I ever read this, right, I was like, whoa, this, this doesn't seem right. But rather than me just rejecting God's word and taking a marker and crossing them all out in my Bible, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. So I, I prayed and I'm like, Lord, <laughs> this doesn't seem right, but I'm not going to pray any of these prayers until you help me understand the context and why they would be needed. And then that's where this book came out of is, is just understanding God's mind in this, um, why they're needed. I mean, guys, you have to understand there is a conspiracy in America today to kill the Christian church. They are looking to destroy Christians and destroy Christian churches. And I'm going to tell you what, if this election gets overturned and they put Trump back in office, they will absolutely come after Christians. Just like Jesus predicted, all nations, you will be hated by all nations. You will understand the need and the purpose of imprecatory prayers if this nation goes the, goes the direction I think it's going to go. I totally agree with you. And uh, let's, let's answer a question here. Um, Genuine News has uh, popped into the chat here. And I think he asked a good question. <clears throat> He's questioning some of the issue of religion. That's fine. That's fine that you question that. Do you think God will arrest Bill Gates? Well, let me, let me give you, for instance, uh, this comes from Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, 19th century preacher in London. Here's what he, here, here was a, a situation of how he explained this. He says, I cannot forbear the following little incident that occurred the other morning at family worship. I happened to be reading one of the imprecatory psalms, and as I paused to remark, my little boy, a lad of 10 years, asked with some earnestness, Father, do you think it right for a good man to pray for the destruction of his enemies like that? And at the same time referred me to Christ as praying for his enemies. I paused a moment to know how to shape the reply so as to fully meet and satisfy his inquiry, and then said, My son, if an assassin should enter the house by night and murder your mother, and then escape, and the sheriff and citizens were all out in pursuit, trying to catch him. Would you not pray to God that they might succeed and arrest him, and that he might be brought to justice? Oh, yes, said he, but I never saw it so before. I did not know that that was the meaning of these psalms. Yes, I said, or, yes, said I, my son, the, the men against whom David prays were bloody men. 
men of falsehood and crime, enemies to the peace of society, seeking his own life, and unless they were arrested and their wicked devices defeated, many innocent persons must suffer. The explanation perfectly satisfied his mind. So here's my answer to to you, Genuine, uh, is out of that, it is that Christians pray. We're not praying for God to go arrest Bill Gates. Uh, or any of the, the the wicked representatives that are there, we're praying that God would work on our behalf so that they, they would, their evil deeds would be stopped. And if in the process of that, we as the people would be used in the capacity we have under the Constitution, or those like the president might be used, his heart might be turned, as the Bible says that God can do, to bring about, to execute justice on people like that. Now, do I expect that to happen Naturally, no, because we've had four years of Trump and that hasn't happened. But we do pray that God would do these things and that he would bring justice and he would stop such people who have such wicked desires as a Bill Gates. I think that's exactly what you're talking about when you're talking about these uh, kinds of prayers that are being offered up, that God would intervene on behalf of his people. And sometimes he intervenes miraculously, uh, like in Egypt, uh, the the plagues that come upon them, the destruction of the, the, the army in the Red Sea. And then sometimes he uses other people. For instance, like Haman, you mentioned a while ago, God didn't build a gallows and string him up. Haman built the gallows and the king said, hey, this guy's out to, to kill my wife and her people. Go hang him up. So he used the people to do it. So this isn't a this isn't a thing of just one or the other. It can be both and that God does something supernatural or that, that God uses those who are in authority uh, to bring about such justice in this matter as well. Exactly. And, and, and the thing is that you always have to be careful of, you know, oh, that was Old Testament. Well, I mean, that's fine. I mean, there are things that passed from the Old Testament to the New that didn't carry over. Animal sacrifice, circumcision, feast days, things like that. But that's the thing that you have to look at is does, does it carry over to the New Testament? Well, quite clearly, Jesus, you know, in the parable of the persistent widow said very clearly, you know, that you can come before Almighty God and say, avenge me. And God says, I will avenge you. All right. So, again, it's just like coming to court. It's just like somebody murdering your child. Do you pick up a gun and go kill the guy and become a vigilante? Or do you use the judicial system and go to the courts and say, get justice? And then the justice system will take care of him and his punishment. That's what this is all about. You go into Revelation 6, 9, and you know, when it talks about it in, in, in the end times, when it talks about Christians are going to be persecuted and it, and it says uh i saw the souls under the under the the altar and it says how long O lord holy and two until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth these people were killing christians and and the people under the stairs are like lord when are you going to step in and judge these people and avenge us and god said sit by a little while there's a few more that gotta die a few more that's got to be martyred but then i am going to step in and i am going to do that so, I mean, we see imprecatory prayers in the book of Revelation. So when you go to even uh, Revelation 8, that was the fifth seal. When you go to Revelation 8 um, and the next seal, the seventh seal is opened up, what does it say? It says the prayers of God are filling the censer, the fire pan. And when these prayers fill up this censer, he's going to take it. He's going to throw it to the earth. And judgment is going to come. So, I mean, you want Christ to return, you better start praying some imprecatory prayers because we're getting ready to hit some pretty nasty times in this world. And and if we don't appeal to heaven and we don't ask God to come and judge and avenge us, 
you know, th there's going to be major trouble. We're going <laughs> to have to do it ourselves. And the Bible says very clearly not to do that. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. So you either sit and let them do it, which Esther and them didn't let sit and let them be persecuted and killed. You pick up a sword and you go kill them yourself, or you do the third option, which is appeal to heaven and ask God to sort it all out. Yeah, and we can also give some other instances here. It wasn't just Jesus. It isn't just in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> we have the Apostle Paul utilizing what could be considered an imprecatory prayer in writing the scriptures themselves. For instance, in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. <laughs> I mean, let him be cursed. It's the same thing. Galatians 1, 8 through 9, but though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be anathema, let him be accursed. Um, and as as we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have received, let him be accursed. I mean, this is the very definition of imprecatory that, that we started out with, um, bringing a curse, bringing evil upon these people, a calamity uh, that would befall the people. Galatians 5.12, I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. Not that they're brought near, not that they're given mercy, not that they're given... This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, people, in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 4.14 is another one. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Well, what's he calling on the Lord to reward him with? Evil, right? But by justice, that justice would come against him. So all throughout the scripture, Old and New Testaments, there's, there's plenty more places where we can cite this. Christians are called to do that. Now, here's the one thing I want to stress. I don't think, I think certain people think what we're saying now, and as we talk about what goes on today, they think, well, you're just, you're praying to be political. No. I, I don't, look, I'm with Justin Peters, and I got his name right today. <laughs> I messed his name up the other day because I don't know why I was thinking the other guy's name. I'm with Justin Peters. Whether it is a Biden or a Trump goes into office, whether it's neither one of them, uh, whoever's governor of my state, whoever's in the Congress or the Senate of my state or at the federal level, it doesn't matter because the same king is still on the throne that our forefathers appealed to, that we're to appeal to, and that's God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one subduing all his enemies under his feet, 1 Corinthians 15. And he's going to do so until the last day when he puts the final enemy under his feet, death, right? So no matter who is... This is not about politics. This is about justice. That's the, I don't know why people can't get that. It's about justice. And you know what you said? We leave it to the justice system. To, the justice system, system isn't doing what it's supposed to do either. It's taking, it's created a whole prison system that is unbiblical, that is unconstitutional. And now we have in the land of the free, the home of the brave, we have more people in prison than any other country on the face of the planet. That is not justice, folks, and we pay for it. That's not justice. That's an injustice, both to the criminal and to the, the people who are innocent. So we have to pray that God would lead us in that way and that he would open the door. He would shut down this issue by whatever means it takes to do it, 
whether it is through using his people, whether it's through using the representatives to shut down that justice and to bring about a just system so that there's real justice instead of the injustices that we face today. John? No, that's absolutely right. And, and there's a quote in my book, too, and, and I don't have it on hand right now, but it says, what What do you do when you appeal throughout the justice system and you cannot get any justice on earth? Well, you still have the Supreme Court of Heaven. You can still uh, uh, appeal to the highest authority. So when you understand Exodus, and then you understand our founding fathers used Exodus as the justification for what they were doing. That's why they had the seal rebe- uh, rebellion to, to tyrants as obedience to God and had Pharaoh and the, and the Red Sea. They understood that when your government is kill- trying to kill you, when your government has become tyrants, the just there is a justice system that outranks man's justice system, and that's why they wrote right in the Declaration of Independence, appealing to the supreme judge of the universe. That's why they flew the appeal to heaven flag, because they knew there was one final court that you could appeal to when, when you're not getting justice on this earth. It's what the slaves did. The slaves looked back at the Exodus story and said, wait, we're The children of Israel were slaves, and they were enslaved by their government. Can't we appeal to heaven that God would free us from our bondage? And they used the appeal to heaven to free themselves. Martin Luther King, I mean, I I go right through history to show people who understood this and who understood how to apply this. If you don't understand that man is not the highest authority, if you don't understand that God is a God of justice, none of this is going to make sense. So be very careful when you take it. It's called unbelief. All right. When you say there are portions of scripture that I absolutely refuse to apply to my life, you run into a very, very dangerous position. Because if you're going to do it with imprecatory prayer, you're probably going to do it with a whole bunch of other doctrines. Never get to the point that you say, I'm going to redact this. I'm going to take a black marker and I'm going to cross these scriptures out because I don't like them or I don't agree with them. Humbly come before God and say, Lord, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You know, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, if there's anything in my mind that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, I got to cast that down. Just humbly come before God and ask him and don't make your own, you know, predetermined decisions. I completely agree. I completely agree. Okay, so what else do we have that maybe we haven't covered in this? Because, again, and let me address something. I mean, we've got a we've got a new person in here, Genuine News. He says, religion is bad news if you ask me. Well, you know what? I believe if people take the name of God and they're doing things that don't square with what God has said, yeah, they they come in the name of Christ. Jesus said there's going to be plenty of people who come in my name, all right? Don't follow after them. He's told us in the Old Testament uh, in several places they're going to tell you things that won't come true. You have a rock party with them. Uh, they're, going to, you're, you're going to, they're going to tell you things that do come true, but they lead you after a God you have not known. You don't listen to them. So, yeah, I would agree. There are people who use religion for a lot of different things. But the fact of the matter is, is for this guy genuine there, is you have a religious view too. It's a worldview. And that's, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing. Everybody has a religious worldview. They may not a- admit that. That's called suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, Romans 1, 18 and following. There are people who claim that they're atheists. They're really anti-theists because they know there's a creator. Everybody knows that. They just want to suppress the truth and righteousness in hopes that they won't meet that judge one day. And so the, the idea is 
nobody can say that God's law, when properly understood, I'm not talking about people twisting junk and, you know, <clears throat> having kangaroo courts and all this other stuff and uh, what we what we saw in like places like Iraq where uh, the ISIS people go in, they have a kangaroo court right out in the street, and then they just execute somebody just over a mere accusation of something, not anything proven. But really following the standards that God has set, nobody can say that's not good for a society. I mean, there's just nobody who would actually see that fleshed out who could say that's not good for the society. Some of the things may be difficult, but they can't say that it's not good for society. Those things are based off of the very thing that God lays out about himself, that he is a just God. And these imprecatory prayers, I go back to it again, they're basically calling for God to be God. God, be just. Show forth your glory. Uh, the idea of glory is giving weight to him as to what, to what he said about himself. We live in such a way to give him glory that we believe what he said. And so I think this is the, the exact thing that we're seeing when we talk about imprecatory prayers. Are imprecatory prayers something we should pray against everybody, every single person on the face of the earth? Obviously not. <laughs> but, and I think for the most part, we are praying that God would turn hearts, that he would show mercy, that he would give grace. But there are instances where people are acting wickedly against the people of God or even against other people. Maybe they're not Christian. I've told, I've said this several times. Look, I, I hate Islam, the ideology. I hate um, the the cults that sprung out of Christianity. But those people are made in the image of God, and so if they're facing an injustice, then I want to stand with them against those who are treating them unjustly, and uh, see that we that justice is done, not an injustice to anyone, no matter what their ide- ideology is. And so I think that's that's the proper place to be. And I think that's really what you've been getting at here as well, is that for the people of God, we have an out towards that. We can call upon God to either aid us in bringing that, because as the people in the United States, we are we are the, the king of, of Romans 13, if you will. We the people, and we delegate authority to our, our representatives. If they're not going to do their job, that eventually falls back to us as the quote-unquote militia in uh, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, to execute the law. Um, so I don't, see, I don't see a disconnect here at all between Old Testament imprecatory prayers, New Testament ones, and appealing to heaven to, for God to be our just judge and intervene on our behalf. Yeah, I mean, and this is what you have to understand about Scripture, because the Bible even tells us we do not even know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit will will help us to pray. So we 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 can't pick and choose anything in the Bible, um, even the imprecatory Psalms. We have to just pray, Lord, what is the problem, and then how do I fix it? So when you see the problem, and then you know how to fix it, God may say, um, for example, when I was praying for America. This is what started the whole appeal to heaven book. When I was praying for America, I was praying Second Chronicles seven fourteen. But then the Lord showed me that's just a command to pray. That's not what to pray. So I said, "Okay, Lord, 
what's America's problem and how do we fix it? And the Lord said Psalms 2. So I went to Psalms 2 and it says the kings of the earth, you know, have said, let us cut his cords asunder. In other words, let us create a separation of church and state. And I'm like, well, that's what happened in America. That's when we fell in the 60s is when we separated God, his, his rulership over our nation. But then it goes on in Psalms 2 to tell us what we are to pray. It says, ask of me and I will give you the nations as as, as inheritance. So we have to be led by the spirit. We can't just pull things out anytime we want and pray whatever we want, whenever we want, because the situation may not fit. But there are times that we pray and God says, here's your answer. Go to Psalms 18, go to Psalms 65, go to, and he, I will tell you what to pray. You have to be led by the spirit in all things. And, and again, here's, here's what I said on, on, on coach Dave's show uh, yesterday. I said, we have to understand that there is a conspiracy in this nation to kill Christians, plain and simple. All right. It's undeniable. Uh, if the left gets control, or even if they don't, they are coming after Christians big time. There will be churches burnt. There will be martyrdom. We will get to the point that we understand by living in practical experience why imprecatory prayers are needed. John MacArthur spouted that we have to obey the government theology his entire life. And now the California governor shut down his churches and now he's defying his own teaching because now he's having to live it. Now he's like, wait a minute, yep. maybe, maybe they don't have supreme authority. People don't understand imprecatory prayer until their feet are put in the fire. And then they're like, okay, now I can see why I'm supposed to pray this. I think that's exactly right. And just to let people know what we're going to do is we're, we're setting up Lord willing on Monday to bring bring you back on because um, I, I went through one of your teachings on uh, ecclesia, and I found it to be exactly what we've been talking about. But people don't get it, and I think I think it will be very helpful for people, uh, people of the church, the assembly of God, those who are called out to understand their role within the gates, if if you will. And we're going to be talking about the issue of. The gates of hell not prevailing. What does that mean? And why does Jesus say, I'm going to set up my church against those gates? They're not going to prevail against the church. The church is going to prevail against them. And what's your place in that? And I think, guys, I'm telling you, if you can get that, if you can get off this idea that somehow the church, as it's translated in the English, the ecclesia in the Greek, if you can get off this idea that somehow that was some new invention in the New Testament, and you can understand that a church existed back in the wilderness, all, <clears throat> much further than that, but we know that Acts chapter 7, where Stephen <clears throat> excuse me, stands before the Sanhedrin, that he talks about the church in the wilderness, the ecclesia in the wilderness, then you will understand exactly that the people of God are one long line of people, the same faith as Abraham, in the same God, the same Christ who came to save them from their sins. If you can understand that, it will help solidify a lot of this for you. If you continue in the uh, this this thing that God has two covenant people, is Israel, and you actually think that's modern-day Israel, which it isn't, and the church then you're always going to have a problem with this. You're never going to be able to put it together. I think this is one of the things, Dr. John, that I think is it hamstrung the American church and help. it doesn't help us see things like imprecatory prayers. It just doesn't help because we say that's Old Testament, that's Israel, it's way back there. And, um, and in the New Testament, 
It's something else. You know, we, we have the vengeful, wrathful God in the Old Testament. We have loving, gentle Jesus in the, in the New Testament. And that's a complete distortion of both because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is God. He's immutable. And when people do that, they don't realize what they're saying more about God than they're saying about us. They're saying a lot more about what they believe about God, and it needs to be corrected. It really needs to be corrected. So we're going to try to put that together on Monday. I think it will be very helpful for people to understand what the church is and what she's supposed to be about uh, in this earth. And it isn't just going around saying, hey, the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, he was risen, he's ascended to the Father, and he's coming again. Those things are true. That would be the milk. That would be the very simplest of things to call men to repentance based on that. But it's more than that. It is the continuation of the dominion mandate because this is why I think people quote Mark for the Great Commission because it doesn't tell them to do anything except preach the gospel. And everybody says, okay, well, that's this. That's the thing I just said. But if you go to Matthew, Matthew says, you're not only doing that, you're baptizing in his name, and you're also teaching them to observe all I have commanded. Now, what did Jesus command, folks? (laughs) He commanded all of Scripture to be obeyed. All of it. Not just whatever portion you want to pick out commanded all of it to be obeyed. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, Dr. John. Are there any final words? We've got about uh, a minute and a half or so. Any final words you want to give on this on this I, this subject that we've got today? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just like you alluded to it a little bit. I mean, we think that God has somehow changed from Old Testament to New Testament. And if that's all we had was the old and the new and it stopped there, you could almost kind of get that thought in your mind. Fortunately, we've got a book of Revelation. All right. So I had a lady in, in church one day was like, well, God's not the same as he was in the Old Testament. I'm like, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. He does not change. Now, the covenant may change and sacrificial requirements and feast days. Those things may change. But God is a just God. God is a judge that will reward us according to our works. That has never changed. So if you think God has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, then go read the book of Revelation. What do you do? Flip flop? You know, well, man, God didn't put up with a whole lot of hanky panky in the Old Testament. He judged people and nations pretty harshly based on their disobedience. But now we got this lovable, lovable, merciful Jesus who doesn't do that anymore. Oh, until we get to the book of Revelation and then he's going to do it again. So if if the Old Testament and the book of Revelation look like it's one thing and the New Testament looks like another, it's your theology that's out of whack because you've been taught. You've been taught love, mercy, grace, love, mercy, grace, 24-7, and you don't consider the kindness and severity of God. You don't consider, read the book of Hebrews, (laughs) and the warning after warning. Dr. John, we're running out of time. you got 20 seconds. Tell people where they can find out more about uh, your work. Um, The the book is at uh, appealingtoheaven.org. You can go to my YouTube channel, which is Divine Worldview. Uh, dot com, and then you can click on the YouTube link, and it'll take you over. That's with the website, and it'll take you over to the YouTube channel where I put my videos out. Uh, please go over there and subscribe. We're going to be putting a lot of information out here in the coming days. Okay. All right. That's Dr. John Diamond. Guys, thank you for joining us this morning. John, we appreciate your time, too. And 23 Hours will be back with you. Be, be in prayer. Going to be interviewing Dr. Chuck Baldwin today, G. Edward Griffin, later this week. See you.